is Lisa, and you're listening to the Conscious Communication Design Podcast. I'm a design researcher and educator, and I want to talk to you about how we can make communication design sustainable, how we can be conscious about our decisions, and what impact we and our work have on the world, and how we can use our skills for positive change. Okay, hi, uh, welcome to this fourth episode now. And um, today is gonna be a first introduction to paper. Um, it's taken me longer than I thought to prepare this because there's so much to know about paper. So this is really just gonna be part one of what is paper <laughs> or, um, you know, how, how we can analyze paper and um, how that kind of research is important for us. Uh, okay, so what is paper? Paper is a material manufactured in thin sheets from the pulp of wood or other fibers and is used for writing, drawing or printing on or as wrapping material. Although many of you will have designed packagings also, paper used for packaging has other requirements than graphic paper, especially if used for packaging foods. There usually needs to be like a barrier which is created as a bond or coating on the paper. This is to protect both the food and the paper from one another, especially when grease or liquids are involved. The categorization of paper products is diverse depending on who you ask, but we can differentiate between graphic papers. Um, that includes newsprint, printing and writing paper, then packaging paper and board, which also includes corrugated paper like the one for boxes and hygienic paper, which is mainly tissue paper, uh, like toilet roll, and industrial and special papers. So that's, for example, money or cigarette papers or the paper used for tickets and stuff like that. It's loads of different kinds. Paper accounts for two and a half percent of industrial production and two percent of world trade. That's kind of including all of the papers, even the hygienic ones, though, and packaging. But paper consumption is related to population and to wealth. So the richer a nation gets, the more paper they consume. The production of one kilogram of paper emits about 1.15 kilogram of CO2. Around 80% of all products sold in the United States and the European Union are packaged in cardboard. 80%. Paper use increases year on year and has quadrupled over the past 50 years. In 2014, global paper production hit 400 million tons per year for the first time. Ironically, the same year that atmospheric CO2 levels exceeded 400 parts per million. More than half of this paper is consumed in China, the USA and Japan. Those are the three biggest uh, uh, consumers of, of paper, whereas China actually makes up a whole quarter of the global paper consumption. Then a further quarter is Europe with 92 million tons out of the 400. The entire continent of Africa accounts for just 2% of global paper use, consuming a mere 8 million tons per year. Let's have a look at the per capita consumption. The global average is 55 kilos per person per year. North American consumption is four times that, 
215 kilos, with the African average just 7 kilograms. China's average per capita consumption is just higher than the global average at 76 kilograms. Eastern European levels are similar to China's, 77 kilos, with the Western European average being almost double that, 147 kilos. Seven of the 10 countries with the largest per capita consumption are in Europe. One ton of uncoated virgin uh, paper, so virgin means that it's not recycled. Um, so one ton of uncoated virgin printing and office paper uses 24 trees. So just to visualize this, um, we all, we all know pallets, right? So imagine a pallet of, full of copier paper um, that would contain 40 cartons and that weighs one ton. And that's 24 trees. Paper waste accounts for up to 40% of total waste produced in the United States each year, which adds up to 71.6 million tons of waste paper per year in the United States alone. The average office worker in the US prints 31 pages every day. And I'm not sure which, uh, which year that was, but those are really recent figures. Americans also use an average of 16 billion paper cups per year. That's something we should consider as designers as well. If you're being asked to design, um, you know, a paper cup, think about whether that's the right way to go. Conventional bleaching of wood pulp produces and releases large amounts of chlorinated organic compounds into the environment. So this includes chlorinated dioxins, which are a persistent environmental pollutant uh, regulated internationally by the Stockholm Convention on Persistent Organic Pollutants. Dioxins are highly toxic and can lead to reproductive, developmental, immune and hormonal problems in humans. And they are carcinogenic. We're exposed to these dioxins mostly through the consumption of meat, dairy and fish because dioxins accumulate in the fatty tissue of animals and that's how they enter the food chain. If you didn't have enough reasons yet to reduce your meat and dairy consumption, there you go. <laughs> um, but that goes for conventional bleaching. There are other methods. We'll talk about those uh, later on. Um, the paper, pulp and print industries together make up about 1% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. The industry has substantial climate change and environmental impacts from its raw material sourcing and forests through production to the end of life of its products. So there are great opportunities for reducing the greenhouse gas emissions through better land management and fiber choices. Wood fibers aren't the most economical when we consider the time trees need to grow and the space they need. But while new technologies and developments in utilizing specialty fibers are always hyped, I think we should always, always consider what grows best locally. And also the environmental impact of growing that crop. Apart from just greenhouse gas emissions and land use, we need to also consider biodiversity. Looking at the recycled content in paper, that is relatively high and estimated at about 50% for newsprint and packaging, 
but printing and writing paper has a global average of only 8% recycled content. So there's still much room for improvement. By more effectively controlling contamination and implementing more robust recycling systems in developing countries, the amount of recycled fiber that could be used could still be nearly doubled before it reaches the upper limit of technical potential. Because one thing we need to keep in mind is that fibers always shorten when they are being recycled. So in order to use fibers from post-consumer waste, that's the print products that we're talking about, they need to be mixed with virgin fibers. The longer the fibers, the stronger the paper. Recycling shortens the average length of fibers though. So at some stage they've reached their end of life. Um, at the last stage they can become toilet rolls. As in the carton bit in the middle on which the tissue paper is rolled around. That's why these shouldn't normally go into the recycling bin as they can't be recycled anymore. It's literally, that's the last step. Same goes for egg cartons. But you're best to check with your local recycling company to confirm this. So what is pulp and what is paper? So we have trees and tree trunks are basically wood and then Wood consists of the fibers and also lignin, which is basically a glue. And uh, then we have pulp. Pulp is basically loose fibers in water. And then after that, paper, which is defined as it's basically the dried pulp in a sheet form. A tree consists of about 25% branches and bark and then 75% trunk wood which you could call logs as well. On an acre, you can grow approximately 16 to 20 mature trees. A wood log contains about 27% lignin, so that's the, the glue that we don't really want, and 73% fiber, so that what goes into paper. Mm, in order to process uh, wood into paper, uh, we need about 50 gallons or 189 liters of water. The first step in paper making is pulping. It can be done chemically or mechanically. In chemical pulping, the so-called craft pulping process is mostly used nowadays anyways. It has the advantage that there is a chemical reaction happening with the chemicals added to the lignin and that produces heat. So this heat can be used to run generators and is often used to power the other machines involved like the paper machine. That process also recovers and reuses all inorganic chemical reagents. But what happens here is basically that they add a cooking liquor into the pulp that dissolves the lignin and then all that is washed out. Chemically pulped paper is also called wood-free. You might have um, heard that term before, which I always found particularly confusing because, you know, why is it called wood-free? But anyways, that's what it's called. Uh, basically just means that the lignin is removed because there's also mechanical, sorry, mechanical pulping <laughs> where the lignin uh, stays in the paper. 
And within mechanical pulping, there's two different processes. Um, The logs are either chipped and then those chips are refined or they go directly into a massive grinder with like stone grinding thingies. Um, Mechanical pulping has a much higher yield because remember almost a third of of, uh, wood is lignin. Um, In mechanical pulping, because the lignin stays in there, uh, the yield is over 95% actually. But the downside is that the fibers are much shorter. That's just due to the process. And that means that the paper isn't going to be as strong. And we we already know that during recycling, they're, they shorten and shorten. So it's not going to have as long uh, of a life cycle. And the lignin uh, means that the paper is going to go brown. So it doesn't age well. So now that we have the pulp, we can add stuff. There is a long history of adding stuff to pulp in papermaking. Traditionally, those are starches, chalks or china clay, but also chemicals. And these additives are either put directly into the pulp, so before the sheets are formed, or are added later as uh, surface sizing or as coatings. The pulp goes on a mesh and the water is squeezed out. And then the whole thing is dried with a steam dryer, usually. This all happens in so-called in the in the so-called paper machine, which produces very, very large rolls of continuous paper, which can later be cut into sheets. Once we have that dried paper, there may be a layer of sizing added, or the paper paper is coated. Both has the intention to make the paper usable for printing and drawing on, so it changes the way the ink reacts with the surface of the paper. In my research that I briefly mentioned in the first episode where I introduced myself, I did a comparison study between two different sizing ingredients. I obviously didn't know much about paper or science for that matter, (laughs) but I wanted to get a better understanding for both. And I was very interested in paper finishings, so sizing and coating. What kinds of chemicals go into it and how that affects the recyclability of the paper as well. So I'm going to explain the study I did um, to give you an idea of the complexity of analyzing print paper products for the environmental uh, for their environmental impact. I'll explain this in layman terms, though, as there's, yeah, I don't think there's a need for fancy academic jargon at this stage. So I did an environmental science master's, a one year program in uh, Trinity College, Dublin. You might wonder, why would they let someone like me into a science program, Uh, especially a master's? Well, it was designed in a way that they would allow for a percentage of students from a non-natural sciences background. So there were a few other blow-ins like myself. It was obviously tough, though, as I literally like suck so bad at chemistry and physics that I don't even know the basics. But I somehow managed and after countless jam-packed weeks of learning how to measure the health of soil and water and climate changes and things like that, we got to write a thesis. And in a kind of last minute thing, I applied to do a project with the Papiertechnische Stiftung in Dresden that loosely translates as Foundation for Paper Technology. 
not that loosely actually <laughs> um yeah so because i i wanted to know more about uh paper and paper coatings and finishings and um i couldn't find anyone in uh, in ireland uh, where i am based where i'm where i live uh doing research like this the only paper research centers that i could find are in and I believe those are the biggest ones. It's the the one in uh, in Germany. There's one in Sweden, I think. And then China is quite big in uh, paper research as well. That was a bit too far for me, though. <laughs> um, okay, so the uh, PTS, Papiertechnische Stiftung Dresden, um, they are an institute that does research on paper, basically. It's partially state-funded and partially funded by industry. So they can do lab tests on the specific properties of papers or analyze their printability or recyclability and loads of other stuff. For me, this was heaven. Obviously, the people there are academics or lab technicians with an advanced background in chemistry. So it certainly wasn't easy for them to deal with someone like me. But they helped me set up this comparison study where we came up with a conventional sizing recipe, which includes uh, polydatmac, which is a high charge cationic polymer. But that stuff is derived from non-renewable resources. And we also suspected that it would negatively impact the de-inking process. So de-inking is the stage within paper recycling where they put in other chemicals with the pulp, which separate the ink from the printed pulp in order to wash it out, basically. My study couldn't prove that um, the de-inking was negatively uh, influenced. The de-inking worked fine. But anywho, uh, this bad, bad polydunmuck stuff is used in paper sizing because of its cationization that's something you need in order to print on it, that it's cationic. So that's like the, the way it's charged um, because it has to, you know, react with the ink. So it, it's a bit anticlimactic in real life <laughs> as it's just a clear liquid <laughs> and not visible once applied on the paper. But in order to test this, um, we created a second recipe that just included a cationic starch. So that would be better for the environment, all natural. Well, I mean, in the end, everything's natural, but you, you get what I mean. Um, so we had those two liquids. Um, and just to explain that visibility thing again, sizing is really usually starch based. So it's, you know, it's a clear liquid that you put on, on the paper. It's not really visible. Coating is to me it really looked like white paint basically that you put on top of the paper so it's very visible uh, a bit more messy uh, but yeah my, my research was on the sizing in this case so um, so we had the two liquids one conventional which is you know commonly used in industry and one like eco variation basically we applied those onto a test substrate which is paper you know um, that's all done in the lab and by hand. And those papers were then measured and compared with another. The application for these size papers would be in inkjet printing. You need different papers and different coatings for different print processes. 
The way the printability was tested was through a range of lab tests. Those included code verification, um, that's basically printing a QR code uh, on there and testing um, how sharp the edges are and stuff, or does the code work basically? And then uh, ink and calcium chloride penetration depth measurements, uh, modeling bleeding, wicking calculations, print density and color analysis. I won't bore you with the details, although I have to say for me, this was some of the most fascinating stuff I ever got to experience. But there's a whole range of stuff um, that can be measured. There's test patterns that you can print and then you look at the patterns under the microscope. We also looked at the, um, the sizes, substrates, always in comparison comparison with the base paper which is um, just the paper without anything on it um, and we yeah so we even looked at those under the electron mic microscope where you can see the actual particles like clinging onto the fibers amazing okay overall my eco recipe didn't do the job in some tests it performed okay especially in how the ink looked so the sizing created a good um, barrier basically for the ink so that means that the ink stays on the surface where we want it to be but my eco recipe took too long to dry on average 1394.7 milliseconds <laughs> so that's one and a half seconds roughly ish and that means that in an industrial printer it would smudge um, uh, good news was that both papers did okay in the de-inking test, so they would be okay for recycling. To summarize, we probably need all this stuff um, in and on our paper as we want to be able to print on it and we want the print to look good. But there needs to be more research done on the environmental effects of these chemicals. Um, because you can imagine, as I mentioned most of the projects done in a paper research institute and there used to be more work in this and but obviously not as much anymore most of it is is funded by the industry itself uh, so we need to be pushing the industry to produce environmentally friendly papers because only if we request them they're going to have an incentive to produce that or if we you know if if these ingredients needed to be declared i think they really should, you know, so that we can make up our own minds. It's difficult enough to understand um, whether a paper is or print product is environmentally friendly. And we're going to look at all the different factors so that we can make up our own minds. Um, but yeah, traditionally, the life cycle assessment of uh, paper and print products is, is not uh, holistic enough. And um, I just wanted to give you an idea of what my understanding is um, what are what the things are that we need to consider and yeah there's a shit ton we should know about paper so this is just the start okay so what are your thoughts on paper how relevant do you think the life cycle uh, assessment of paper products is to your work Help me spread the word about this podcast so that we can have a discourse and this doesn't remain a one-sided communication. You can get in touch with me through Twitter or Instagram. The handle is at CCD by Lisa in both. 
please like, share and follow the podcast on whatever app you're listening to it and tell other designers about it. I'll talk to you next week where I'll continue with the introduction to paper and I'll go into the history and uh, of paper and tree fiber alternatives. Until then, thank you for listening and take care.